cranks my trucks. Amen. Let's all stand. What a blessing. And it's our youth praise team, and we're going to let them start opening the Sunday night service. Wasn't that a blessing? Like some of you old fogies ought to be jumping pews. Praise God. That's good. What a blessing. These kids out there tonight living in sin and whatever. Here they are singing for Jesus and developing their talents. That's something you ought to be shouting about thanking God for praising the Lord for it. Some places tonight you go to can't have, you don't find three or four teenagers and here's about 13, 14, 15, 70 of them up here singing. Say amen. <laughs> Living for God. Isn't that a blessing? Let's give them a hand. Great. Praise God. <laughs> let's have our men, let's come and pray and let's take this service to the Lord and let's ask the Lord to bless tonight. Thank the Lord for what he's doing. Been a good day. Thank God for speaking to our hearts this morning. Now let's open our hearts up to what he has for us tonight. I believe he has a word for us. Church, I want you to listen to God tonight. Let's let him move in our lives and let him move in our hearts. Father, we thank you tonight for your blessing. There have been so many things today, Lord, that has just stirred my heart. So many things, Lord, that's just encouraged me. And I thank you, Lord, for anointing this day touching this day, just giving us a glimpse of what you're about to do for us as a body of believers. We thank you, Lord, for the vision you're putting in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts you're stirring and the hearts you are reviving about the things of God. So, Lord, I pray tonight that you continue to work that into us and continue to develop these things in our heart and in our life. Do anoint us. We need you tonight. We pray that your hand be upon us. As Jabez prayed, Lord, we ask you to enlarge us, to give us greater opportunities to serve you. But also may you empower us, may your hand be upon us and keep us clean that we might not grieve the Spirit of God, but we could always be used of God. So touch this service now, everything about it. Magnify the name of Jesus Christ, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Page 319, Blessed Assurance. Everybody get you a songbook. 319, while they play a little bit here, go ahead and get you a book. Don't wait for the chorus. 319, get you a book now. All the first, all together now. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior. Submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side, angels descending, bringing from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my again and I want you to put everything you got into it this time. I, the choir's almost singing back here, I believe. I want to see us out there. We, our eyes and our mouths should just be open with anticipation. Look at what it say on that last verse and we're going to do it again. It says, watching and waiting, looking above. Let's do that last verse. All together, everyone sing it now. Perfect submission All is that
Thank you. You may be seated. Let's see. We're going to take the offering. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's let our ushers come forward. In fact, do you have some Awana Awards tonight? I tell you what, come on and do the Awana Awards there. Oh, we don't know what we're doing. We just show up. Let the spirit lead us. You know how that goes. Amen. Amen. I have two girls tonight that I'd like to recognize. The first is Alyssa Flippo, and she's getting her maiden tap. And this is Megan Reed, and she is getting, um, let's see here, she's getting her gold torch, and she's also, this is her second time to be recognized as Chum of the Month. We'll let our ushers come forward. And let me just uh, have you add a couple of prayer requests to your uh, prayer sheet. Remember, of course, many of you know that Miss Keith went home to be with the Lord this afternoon. This is Mary Jo's mother. And uh, she will be at the Wilson's funeral home. The family will be receiving friends tomorrow night. The service will be Tuesday here at the church. I don't know what time, but it will be here at the church on Tuesday. And then our deacons, uh, we're, they've asked to serve, been asked to serve as pallbearers. If you can serve as a pallbearer on Tuesday, see Luther tonight. He'll meet you in the back. And if you can help us as deacons, I, I, know, I know you'd be glad to do that. But see Luther tonight. And then add to your hospital list in your bulletin there. Of course, we have Joanne Wyndham. And that is a miracle. She just amazes me. And uh, she's out in intensive care in a room and very possibly will be able to go home tomorrow. And it's just been a real miracle what God has done for Joanne. Carolyn Bokina is at the VA hospital in Murfreesboro. And then Mary Burnett is at Parkridge Hospital. And she's been having some breathing difficulty. Florence Herb is at East Ridge Hospital. She had surgery this week and want to remember her. And so let's be praying for these and ask the Lord to touch them. Father, we thank you now for what you're doing. Continue to open our hearts up to what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
a city of light where there cometh no night and the sun never sets in the sky in the bible we're told that the streets are pure gold and a cool gentle river of sky and that was then swinging God's holy wine swinging yes I am I'll never turn back to this world anymore no matter how rough may be the way no matter how long I stop and pray I'm down for that city I'll never reach more little children will play and their hearts will be gay as they stroll through that city of gold. No more crying up there, no more sorrows to bear, and nobody will be Just a word. I, today, when I left church, I went by to see Miss Keith, and um, I prayed with her, and I sung to her, and I sang the song they played for offertory, "Peace, Peace, Wonderful Peace." And when I prayed with her, I prayed that God would give peace in these hours. When I got through praying, she closed her mouth like she wanted to say something, and tried to open her eyes, and Ann noticed it too, and and. I remember every time I prayed with her at the end, she always said, Amen. And I just believe in my heart she was trying to say Amen again. And, um, oh, I thought, what a reunion there was in heaven. But God has given that peace. I, I was just over there, and there's such a peace in that home. And I just praise the Lord for His grace in the time of need and His peace in the midst of the storm.
that I've been living in collapses at my feet. And when life is all tattered and torn, see, I've been windswept, I've been battered, but I can cling to his cross and find real peace. Oh,
everyone standing tonight now as the choir comes down. This is the time we all get out and fellowship. Look around you. Get out, cross over three or four benches this way, up the ladder, up the steps, everywhere. Find a choir member, shake their hands, tell them someone you appreciate them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound.
how many of you are excited about the amazing grace of Jesus? And all right, all right, let me ask you something. You ever watched, I used to be in UT band. You know, we were behind doing something stupid like losing to Alabama and all, we know, all that kind of stuff. It was real hard to get excited about playing down the field and fight balls fight. I just couldn't get excited about it. But you get ahead in the ball game and you realize you're winning. Then you play the fight song totally different. You play it with a little enthusiasm and excitement because you, you think the victory's already won. Well, guess what? We know the victory's been won. It's already been won. So we sing Amazing Grace. We should just be just praising. And as my Paul Paul used to say, we ought to be lifting the rafters off this place. And you're going to get one more try. We're going to do that last verse. And let's just lift it to him tonight and think the victory's already won. We don't care what happens in the ball game tonight because our victory has already been decided. It is won. On the last, all together, when we now. When we Maybe see, we're going to ask this young men's quartet if they'll come on and sing for us. Well, what a day that is going to be with my Jesus, I shall see. We're going to do a song called, we'll put <coughs> Beulah Land. I can't wait until we see Beulah Land. Listen to this. We did this one in Gatlinburg too, but uh, I guess putting us on the spot once just wasn't enough for dad, so. And someday 
Well, that's excellent. Amen? Amen. I don't bless you. Nothing will. Amen. Stuff like that don't bless your heart. I believe when you get to heaven, I believe you'll just sit there. I believe you'll <laughs> bug-eyed like a hoot owl in a tree. You'll be so overwhelmed with what's going on. But what a blessing. What a blessing. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I am so glad the Lord brought you here tonight. And so glad the Lord has brought you here. And I believe He's brought you here for a purpose. Last Sunday night, I shared with you a message entitled, The Importance of a Vision. This morning, we looked at a man in 1 Chronicles that to me personifies what having a vision is all about. Jabez was a fellow that just said, I want to do as much as I can for God. I want to be all I can be. He prayed, God, would you enlarge my coast? Would your hand be upon me? Guard me, keep me from evil. And he was just one of those fellows that said, I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary. And he was. And he personifies what a vision is all about. Tonight, I want to share with you my vision for this church. Not just for this year, I shared tonight with our deacons, uh, I shared with them my vision for the year. And I will share with our leaders and teachers and different ones in our leaders' banquet on Saturday night, my vision for the year. But uh, I want you to understand that everything that I share for a year is because of an overall vision for this church. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. And I want you to look at one verse of Scripture. I'll use that as the basis. There is a thought in the, ver in the statement here that leads into the matter of a vision. I want us to understand tonight as a church that a vision is critical to our existence. Without a vision, the people perish. As I share with our deacons, I said, now this is the way we're going to approach the year 2000. We're coming to our deacons' meetings, and I clearly defined them. And I said, we're not just going to come in and just talk about what comes off our head and whatever. But I said, this is where we're going. And when we come in on Sundays, our deacons' meetings, we're coming in with the purpose to see how to get there. And this is where we're going as a church. And this is where I began to tell you a little bit more about what this year will be like. And, of course, Saturday night is a very, very special time. It'll be an annual thing. In our church, our leaders' banquet, is our, that's just getting us started for the year. Brother Eddie Goddard will be our special guest. We'll have special music be here. And uh, next Sunday, he'll be with us, and it'll be commitment day. And next Sunday night, I'm going to ask for you to make a commitment to serve God in the coming year in some way or another. But what is my vision? I talk about these things, where we're going, the changes that have occurred in 1999, and this has been a good year. It's been the best year that I've had in 13 or 14, going on 14 years here. It's been a good year. Additions are up. Baptisms are up. Everything is up. There's a reason for that. And I really believe that there's something God wants to do. And I'm excited about the coming year. And what I want to do tonight is give you my vision by just letting you see my heart. I want to talk to you out by my heart. That's why I'm so glad God put you here tonight. Because I want you to see what I am seeing in my mind's eye down the road. I'm seeing certain things 10 years down the road. And I'm seeing certain things a month down the road. But I'm seeing this in my heart and in my mind. And here is why it's all about. 
Acts 20, verse 28. Here's one verse of Scripture. The Scripture said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to pray, and then we're going to... I want to share with you tonight my vision. We'll lay a biblical foundation for it. And then I'm going to set before you something that I shared with our folks on a Wednesday night. It's not identical, but the symbols will be the same. But on a Wednesday night in the beginning of 1999, I shared on Wednesday night my vision for Temple Baptist Church. I'm going to share the same thing with you tonight. Because so many of you are involved in ministry. You're not even able to be here on Wednesday night. I'm going to share with you so you can understand where we're going. I've been asked a couple times this year, what is your vision? Where are you going, Brother Ken? You listen tonight and you'll understand what is driving me behind everything that I'm asking. Let's pray. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, I am thankful tonight that you brought us together. I am thankful, Lord, for this day. Lord, there has been a blessed anointing of God upon this day. There has been a touch of the Holy Spirit upon this day. I sense, Lord, that you are doing something in our hearts. You're doing something in our lives and you're getting us ready for what you're going to do. I'm excited about what you've done over the past year. I am doubly excited about what you're going to do in the coming year. I pray tonight that as a church that we'll get a vision. Not just any vision, but God will get your vision. That we'll see what you want us to do in light of the Word of God. And Father, let the Bible be our guideline. Let the Bible be that which directs us in the direction that we go. So give us your vision tonight. Help us tonight, Lord, to be able to communicate what I believe is your vision for Temple Baptist Church. That which you have put in my heart. That which you put in my heart nearly one year ago to this very day. Lord, help us tonight to help me to be able to communicate it and help us to see it. Lord, give us that vision. Help us to understand it. Help us to comprehend it. Help us to catch the vision tonight for that which you will do not only in 2000, but if you don't come in the years to come, for it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. You'll find as you study your Bible that the Bible in several places, especially in the epistles, talks much about the role and the responsibility of a pastor. In the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we find one such passage. It is to me, it's... It gives you like the role of a pastor in a nutshell. You'll notice in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that it describes a three-fold role of a pastor. There are three things that it says about a pastor. Let me point out this three-fold description of a pastor. For one thing, it describes the priority of a pastor. If you notice the command is given to the pastor in verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Underscore the word heed for just a moment. It is a word that literally means to hold the mind. The word heed there is not just, not carries much more than the ideal you listen and you obey, but the ideal of take heed therefore unto yourselves is something that gets a hold of the mind, something that possesses the mind, or as we might say, something that is to be on your mind on a very continual basis. He's telling us in, here in verse 28 that a pastor's call and a pastor's ministry is to be on his mind at every moment. You see, one thing about the job of a pastor, that his job is not a job where you can clock in at 8 o'clock in the morning, 
clock out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, go home and forget all about your work until the next day when you clock in. No, the job of a pastor is a job that occupies his mind or is to occupy his mind on a constant basis. In other words, what Acts 20 and verse 28 is telling us that the ministry is to be a priority to a pastor. He is to be occupied with his call. He is to be possessed with his ministry. It is to be the thing that is on his mind every minute of every waking hour. He is to be possessed with his ministry. He is to be constantly thinking about the ministry. It is always to be on his mind what he is to be. It is always to be on the mind of a pastor what he is to do. It is always to be on the mind of a pastor what he is to get done. It is a priority. It cannot be, and a pastor cannot be a part of his life. It is to be his life. It is to take heed therefore unto yourselves. But second of all, you not only see the priority of pastor, but you see the position of a pastor. For he said in verse 28, he speaks of the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now the word flock that is used here refers to the church. And the word over that is used in our text is a primary preposition denoting a fixed position in both place, time, and state. Now, what is this position that is referred to? What is this fixed position that is referred to by the word over and over the flock? You see the word overseer there? The word literally describes a superintendent. It was used in those days to speak of an officer in charge. Now, the best way I know how to describe who a pastor is and the best way I know how to describe the role of a pastor where everybody, young and old, will understand it is that what God is saying is that the pastor is the head honcho. Do you understand that? Can I get an amen? I didn't ask you if you agreed with it. I just said, do you understand what I just said? He is to be the overseer. Now, through the years, if I, as I have gone place to place and whatever, there have been times that people tried to talk to me about the pastor their pastor, and I've heard people that were upset with their pastor about something, and I've heard them make this statement. You know, he just acts like he's running things. And I won't say to them, that's the way he's supposed to act. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. And I won't say to them sometimes, what you ought to do if you've got problems with that is take it up with God because he's only doing what God told him to do. It's not his, well, his choosing. It's what God told him to do. You see, I think you understand tonight that the church is not a board of directors. A church is a body of believers. A board will have a chairman, but a body has a head. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and what he has done is put a pastor as the officer in charge of his local body. He has made the pastor the overseer of the church. In other words, the pastor's role in a church in his place of authority is not self-choosing. It is a divine appointment. It is not determined by a vote. I don't care. So I've heard people all the time talking about having a vote of confidence. Vote of confidence. You don't have to have a vote of confidence around here whether or not I should be the pastor. That's determined by the Bible. That's settled. We don't vote on that matter. <laughs> Say amen. Say with me now. And it's settled by the Word of God. We don't vote about the matter. It is not a matter of selfish ambition. It is God's arrangement for the government of the church. 
And what God has done is He set the pastor as the overseer of the church, and the pastor is to carry out God's orders and see to it that the church is obedient to those orders. That is the position of a pastor. But look in verse 28, you also see the purpose of a pastor. In verse 28, we read the words that he is to feed the church of God. Now, you see the word feed there, it literally means to tend as a shepherd. In fact, the word pastor. The word pastor is a word that describes a shepherd taking care of his flock. When a person talks about being a pastor, they're talking about being a shepherd of a flock. And when the Bible speaks about a pastor, it's talking about an under-shepherd, Christ being the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And underneath is the shepherd that God has put over his flock in a particular place. So he talks about feeding the sheep. That is, he's talking about tending sheep as a shepherd would tend for them. And the ideal is of a shepherd tending his flock. Now, when you think about the role of a shepherd, there is basically a threefold role of a shepherd. There's a threefold role of a pastor described here. His priority, that his whole life is to be possessed with his ministry. His position, he is the overseer. His uh, purpose, that is, he's to feed the flock. But what is the role of a shepherd? What is, notice this threefold role. For one thing, a shepherd is to grow his sheep. A shepherd is to grow the sheep. You see, the shepherd has the role of providing food for the sheep. A pastor has the role of providing spiritual food for the sheep. He is to do more, and I believe this, this is a conviction with me, that preaching a pastor is to do more than preach from the Word. He is to preach the Word. I believe that a pastor is to take the Word of God and to share the Word of God, and when you leave a service, whatever text he preached from, you ought to understand that text better when you leave. That's preaching. Not taking a text and letting it be like the Star Spangled Banner at a baseball game, how it gets the game started. We don't have anything to do with what goes on thereafter. No, I believe that a pastor is to take the Word of God and help you to understand what the Word of God is saying. He is to help you to grow. A pastor is to preach the Word of God and provide God's Word and spiritual food for the nourishment of the people of God. The second role that I think of when I think of a shepherd is not only growing the sheep, but guarding the sheep. You see, the shepherd was to protect the sheep from the many dangers that were out there, the enemies that would seek to destroy that lamb, sheep, whatever there. The shepherd had the responsibility of growing the sheep. He had the responsibility of guarding the sheep. Now, understand tonight that my role before God, one of my roles is to preach to you the Word of God. And my role is to get up here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and to tell you what God says and to teach you what the Bible says and to share with you the Word of God. You see, the thing, you know, it's, it goes against the grain of my flesh tonight to get up here and tell you that I am to be an overseer. I think that is assumed. But yet, many, I, I could back away and say, no, but I would do you an injustice. Because I've been put here by God to tell you what the Bible says about every issue of the Bible. I am to grow you, but I am to guard you. And I am to guard you from that which would hurt you. I am to guard you from false doctrine. I am to guard you from false prophets. I am to tell you what is right. I am to tell you what is wrong. I am to guard you from all these things, all the things that goes on in the world that would seek to pull you away. I am to ground you in the truth of God and to do so without flinching a muscle or batting an eye. I am to guard you. And that's why I take a stand for what I feel I need to take a stand for. That's why when I come to you that I do not preach the Word of God with apology. I come here knowing this is what thus saith God. 
And if it's the word of God, it's final. And so I come tonight to say, this is right, this is wrong, based upon the word of God. Why do I do that? Is it just to be harsh at times? No, it is to guard you as a shepherd. But there's a third role of a shepherd, and that is not only to guard the sheep, but also to guide the sheep. You see, the shepherd had the role of leading the sheep from pasture to pasture and from spring to spring. He had the responsibility of leading them and guiding them where they needed to go because sheep did not have the ability of going there by themselves. The shepherd had the role of leading and guiding. Now, this is where my vision for Temple Baptist Church comes in. In order to lead you and guide you, in order to fulfill my role before God, not just to you, but before God, for my ultimate responsibility is to my God. And then my responsibility is to you. And in order to fulfill my responsibility to God, then one of the things that is absolutely necessary for me is to find out God's vision for this place and to find out what God wants us to do and to find out where God is going and to somehow find out what the Lord wants to do and then to communicate that to you and lead that to you leads you in that direction. Last week I shared with you in the message The Importance of a Vision, a quote by George Barna from his book The Power of Vision. And I want to share with you that quote again. He said, vision is the picture held in the mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. Can I say that again? Vision is the picture, is a picture held in the mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. You see, as your pastor to guide you, I must have in my mind's eye a vision of the way things can be and the way things should be in the days ahead. I think about something Winifred Newman said in Leadership Magazine. Vision is the world's most desperate need. There are no hopeless situations, only people who think hopelessly. Can I say that again? Mr. Newman said vision is the world's most desperate need. There are no hopeless situations, only people who think hopelessly. Let me be open with you tonight. It was about this time one year ago that God ended a five-month ordeal in my life. The hardest and the longest five months of my life. About one year ago, God ended this ordeal. For a a long period of time, or not a long period of time, but for several months, not years, but for several months, I had been struggling with a mixture of feelings in my heart. I had been struggling with a lot of things in my life. I had been struggling with a lot of things about what I am to be and where I am, what I'm meant to do and, and where I am to go in these matters. I was really struggling in my heart, feeling that I was not being what I should be and feeling that I was not uh, doing what I ought to be doing for God and this church was not going forward and, and I was beginning to wonder, has, is my time over here? Is God through with me in this place? Is it time for me to move on and somebody else to come in? Should I go somewhere else? I was, it was just all kinds of feelings that was going on in my heart and there was a battle raging in my heart about whether or not that I had led this church as far as I could lead it. During that particular time, as some of you know, there was an opportunity that opened up 
My wife was the only one that knew about this. We didn't even tell our children till the whole thing was over with. But an opportunity opened up at a large church in North Carolina. A church that over the past two or three years had been recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in the state. Every year that I've been here, I'm working on my 14th year, I receive two, three calls every year. The phone rings, I say, hello, is this Ken Trivet? Yes, it is. My name is so-and-so. I'm with so-and-so Baptist Church. We are looking for a pastor and your name come up and we want to call and see if you would be interested and pray about coming. Two or three times every year I get calls. Just a couple of months ago I received a call like that. But for the first time in 13 years, I went to visit this church and preach for this church in the consideration of accepting a call to become their pastor. The first time in 13 years I considered leaving here with all the things wondering if I'm through, if God was leading me, whatever. I went there to see is this God's will for my life. I preached in two services on Sunday morning. In the 8 o'clock hour, I preached to more than 400. In the 10 o'clock hour, I preached between seven and 800 people that morning. I come back on Sunday night and preached out to a packed-out auditorium. I was taken through their facilities, and I was shown what they had, and I was told what they were doing, and they pointed out this ministry and this ministry, and they told me all of these things. I was introduced to a large staff. I was shown financial records that showed they were bringing in a little over $45,000 a week. And I was shown the plans of a 2,500-seat auditorium that they said to me, just as soon as the preacher gets here, we're breaking ground. And they took me through and showed me all these things. And to put it lightly, I found myself between July and December of 1999 fighting and fighting a battle in my heart that drove me just about out of my mind. In fact, it drove me in utter desperation before God. And with a heart broken, I poured my heart out and said, God, what am I to do? What is your will for my life? What do you want to do? Lord, I've been feeling like you're through here. Is this what you're doing? Are you putting me in that which has been the passion and dream of my life for these years? And I come before God and I said, Dear God, I need you to help me to know what I ought to do. And there God broke my heart. Instead of showing me what I ought to do, God showed me what I ought to be. And God showed me that it was not so much that I needed a different place to preach as I needed to preach differently. And God showed me how complacent and God showed me how indifferent and God showed me how cold my heart had got. And it was not a pretty sight. And I saw myself in my ugliness and I saw myself in my miserable condition before God in my utter wretchedness before God. And really what I saw was that I did not have a vision. And I did not have a goal. And I did not have a passion. And I had lost my fiery love for the things of God. It's like God said to me, you say you've led the church as far as you can lead it. Where have you led it? And I remember thinking to myself, God, where have I led it? And it's like God said to me, you've done this and you've done that. But really, where have you taken the church? And again, God showed me that it was not so much a change that I needed, but what I needed was what Winifred Newman said, vision is the world's most desperate need. And this time a year ago, God rekindled my vision. 
God refocused my life and God refired my heart for Temple Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I came to you on a Sunday night and shared it with you. But in this time a year ago, God put in my mind's eye a vision for this place. And God put in my mind's eye something that I saw down the road. And I realized tonight that my greatest task that I have is to communicate to you what God put in my heart and to help you to see that vision and to understand that vision and to catch that vision for the glory of God. Now this is my prayer. I am praying that God will do in your hearts what he did in my heart one year ago. I, this year I've been driven with the vision and this year we're beginning to implement it more. Now, Sister Beverly was saying last Sunday night, I don't think she meant to say it quite this way, Beverly Childers. She's talking to Sherry or somebody and she said, boy, our preacher, I've never seen him fired up this long. I don't think she meant it quite that way, amen. But I'm praying that God will do in your hearts what he did in mine. I'm praying that God will put in your hearts what he's put in mine. I'm praying that God will stir your hearts like he stirred mine. Glenn comes to me the first Sunday of every year and he walks up to me and he says, Brother Ken, what can I pray for you about this year? He's done it for 13 years. And he walked up this morning and said, Brother Ken, what is it this year? And I said, Glenn, just pray God keep my heart stirred. And I pray that God will stir your heart and pray that God will help you to catch your vision. I'm praying for every leader. I told our deacons tonight, I said, men, I have prayed for you and I have called every one of you's name out to God. And I said, I need men that love God and I need men that know God and I need men that are full of God. I need leaders. I said, men, I prayed for you. I want God to give you a vision. God to help you to see what he's put in my heart. I pray for every leader here that God will give you the vision. I've always said this church has potential. I have always said this church has potential. Everybody that comes here says this church has potential. And I confess to you, I made this confession to, this, to our folks on a Wednesday night, but I make a confession to every one of you in this room tonight. This church has a lot of potential, but I confess that the reason this church has not reached its potential is largely my fault, and I know it. I'm not all to blame for it, but I've been made to realize, and God made me realize last year that basically this church had never maximized its potential because I did not have a vision. And I did not see down the road. And I, again, I apologize in the past for my lack of vision, my lack of well-defined goals, my failure to take you higher to higher levels, my indifference and my complacency that resulted in a stagnant ministry rather than a stirring ministry. And I've asked you to forgive me once again. I ask you to forgive me for it. And I won't get that vision. I want you to get that vision of what God has for us in the days to come. As Thoreau said, we should not worry about castles built in the air. He said, that's where they should be. Built now, put foundations under them. And when I talk about a vision, I'm talking about putting foundations under my vision. What is my vision? I try to base everything I do upon what saith the Word of God. And therefore, my vision is based upon biblical principles. What do I feel this church should be in the days and years to come? There are several symbols in the Bible. You'll remember these that were with us on that Wednesday night. I want you to jot these six symbols down. And these symbols in the Bible, to me, tell us what we ought to do as a church. And they provide for me my vision for Temple Baptist Church. What are these? Number one, 
there is a temple. There is a temple. The scripture said in Psalm 95, 6 and 7, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, as you look in the Bible, you learn from the Scripture that God is building a temple and that He's building a temple out of living stones. And these living stones are people that have been drawn by the Holy Spirit into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we also learn from the Scriptures that God is seeking worshipers. You see, the temple and worshipers go together. The temple in the, in the Old Testament was where they come to worship. Now, there is no temple today. The temple is made up of me, and the temple is made up of you, and it's made up of worshipers. What is my vision for Temple Baptist Church? I see our church auditorium that has been dedicated for worship. Filled with persons worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth every Sunday. I see it filled again on Sunday night. And I see folk coming from all parts of this city, from all levels of the social structures of this city, from all races. And the one thing that draws them together is a common desire to exalt the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in worship. Amen. See, one thing we don't want to ever lose here is our spirit of worship. I talked about it this morning. If somebody across town wants to dry up as dead as last year's pecker would, go ahead. But when we come here on Sunday morning and Sunday night, you want to say amen, say amen. You want to lift your hand, lift your hand. If you want to run, run, just as long as you talk right when you hit the ground. And you can worship. We come here to worship in spirit and in truth. In a day when people are starving for meeting God and the Holy Ghost, I want us to be a temple where we come together and worship God. That's my vision, that we're drawn together by a love for Christ and drawn together by a desire to worship God. Symbol number two is that of a lamp. Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, Do all, all things without mummerings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, as a believer, God has given us the light. And by giving us the light, He has made us a light in this dark world. And He's placed us in the midst of a people who dwell in darkness. And in my vision, I see us being the light in this community and sharing the light in this community and throughout this area. I see us being the light and the sharing the light with unchurched families of our community. I think I'm safe in assuming that those who do not go to church on Sunday and our community are not regular attenders are probably in darkness. And as a church, I don't want us to sit over here and shout about the light we have. I want us to be a light. I want us to be a light in this community. I want us to be a light to those out there that don't have anything to their name. 
It doesn't matter to me if they walk in here barefooted, poor as Job's turkey. It doesn't matter to me whether they're red, yellow, black, and white. I want to be a light to them. And if they're wealthy, fine. We want to be a light to the rich, to the poor, the red, yellow, black, and white. We are a light, and I want this community to see our light. We don't want to just hide within the four walls. We want to be a light and make sure that the light of the gospel gets to every family in this area. There's a third symbol. My vision is represented by a temple, a place where we come to worship. It is represented by a light that we are a light in this community and city. But my third symbol is that of a loaf of bread. In Luke 14, verse 16 through 24, I'll not read it all, but there's the parable Jesus gave where he went out and sent them out and he bid them to come to a feast. And he said, come now for all things are ready. And they went out pleading with them to come and begging them to come. And he said in verse 23, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And he talked about in verse 24 that they were bidden to a supper. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is represented under several different figures in the New Testament. And one of the most favorite is that of a feast. You see, God had prepared a great banquet and he spread a table and he gave an invitation to everybody to come and to eat of that food and the taste of that bread and the feast of the banquet. When I see a temple, I see a place where we come and worship. When I see a light, I see the overall impact of this church as it is a light in our community. But when I see a loaf of bread, I see the way, I see our Sunday school in a loaf of bread. You see, our Sunday school is the time when a teacher sets the bread of life on a table. The teacher has prayerfully and carefully prepared the bread during the week. And on the Lord's day, with all the grace and skill that God can give them, they set out the bread for those who come with hunger. And as the bread is served around the table, relationships are developed and fellowship is experienced. I see our church providing this bread on many tables every Lord's day. I want there to be a day when there's a table for everybody. I want there to be a day when there's a table for every age group. I want there to be a day when there's a table for every area. I want there to be a day when there's a table for, the, for those that are deaf. I want there to be a day, a day when we have a table for those who are special. I want there to be a table for the young, a table for the old, a table for every age group, a table for every need. We want to have as many tables as we can for husbands, wives, singles, children, young people. And in order to make sure that there is a table for everyone, we're going to keep on setting up new tables and keep on enlisting new workers. And these workers are going to be trained in the skills of putting bread on the table. And then as we set up new tables, we're going to keep going out in the community and spreading the light and bringing in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in and sit down at the table. And we'll do so with an urgency because our Lord has instructed us to do so. You say, Brother Ken, I don't know if I'm in that. Well, listen, if that's not what you're into, I don't want to be rude and don't misunderstand me. You know I'm not a smart aleck, but you're in the wrong place. For we are here under divine urgency and this is what God has called us to do and we want to spread a table. And our Sunday school will be that place of providing bread and we'll do it for the hundreds and thousands. Can I be honest with you? Call me... Stupid, call me a dreamer if you want to. They made fun of Joseph. 
Call me anything you want to. But I can see the day a few years down the road when there'll be at least a thousand sitting at our tables on Sunday morning. As teachers break the bread of life and feed the bread and folks gather around the table and develop relationships and fellowship with one another, I see a loaf of bread. Now you see it. There's a fourth symbol and that is of a river. John 7, verse 37 and 39, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus not glorified. There can be no question about it, folks. I mentioned our location one night. You, I really believe this. I believe we're right where God wants us to be. I believe God has put us here, divinely led this group of believers 50-some, 60 years ago, about 59 years ago to the corner of 3200 Rossville Boulevard in Cleo Avenue. And God has led us here. I'm all the time said by brethren and by pastors, you ever thought about relocating? You ever prayed about moving? And I thought to myself one day, that's like me walking off and leaving where those that need me the most. The easiest thing in the world for me to move out among where every, everybody's going and just let everybody come in because of growth. But yet God is to strategically put us right here that we might reach out to this section of the town and this community God has put us in. And I see us in the midst of a moral and spiritual desert and we see the crime and we see the hurt and we see the human need and the poverty around us block after block after block. But I see us as a channel through which the Holy Ghost, the river of a living God flows into our community. Jesus said that's when the Holy Spirit would come. They would flow through his rivers of living water. And I see us as the love of God flows through us into this community. As the love of God flows through us in many different kinds of ministry. I see the love of God flowing through us to form relationships with those who have no hope. I see the love of God flowing through us like a mighty river through His church, pushing out of the way the filth and the blockades and the barriers to human life and families. Now listen, we don't have to be the river. We're but a channel. And all God wants is a channel. And if we'll be a channel, He'll pour Himself through it. And I see us being that channel. There's a fifth thing. And I see that of a school. I'm not talking about starting a school. I'm talking about a university of Christian living. Jesus said, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even in the world. Amen. He said to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What am I talking about a school? I'm talking about a school in which every member, listen to me, of Temple Baptist Church has provided the opportunity to discover their spiritual gift and to prepare themselves for their place of ministry and find assistance in finding that place of ministry. A school based on the conviction that God has given every believer a spiritual gift and God has a will for every one of you and that he has a specific place for you to serve God and a specific place of ministry for you. I read a study the other day that indicated that most adult Americans find very little satisfaction in what they do. They find very little satisfaction in the workaday world. And it said that most people daydream about a place where they can invest themselves in something that would be meaningful. 
I want to tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is the place to invest yourself. It is the place to find something meaningful. It is a place where you come and invest yourself in. And it's a school. Our mission is to equip people to accomplish that mission. I see us being that kind of church. Like a modern university, these units of growth and study will be provided so people can take advantage of them. Both a curriculum and a schedule will be determined and established to fulfill this goal. What I'm saying is I want to provide here that which will build you up in the faith. You can grow and learn. You want to see? I see God enabling us to break out that deadly pattern where 20% of the believers do 80% of the work. And I see God one day at a time when we, where every believer is making a positive contribution to the progress of the kingdom of our Lord in this world by being taught this is how to do it and this is what you do. I see us as a school. Discipleship. Classes to build you. And there's one final thing. Are you still with me now? I see us as salt. Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth. But the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be assaulted? I see a church that has so begun, now listen to me carefully. I see a church that has so begun to embody the principles of the kingdom of God and to practice the mandates of our risen Lord that we become a preserving influence in society. I do not care what Washington says about it. I don't care if they say that a Christian is to keep his mouth shut in this world. I, we've had this thing run down our throat, the separation of church and state. They talk about it being in the Constitution and whatever that. You do not find the phrase separation of church and state in the Constitution. There was a phrase similar in one of Jefferson's writings, but you do not find it in the Constitution. But what we have been taught is that as a church, we don't have any right to say anything. We don't have any right to be anything. We don't have a right to voice our opinions or our convictions because of the separation of church and state. What that means was, and what our forefathers meant was, that the government would have no right or ability to regulate how we live our faith as a church. It didn't have anything to do with not the church had an influence on society. The government could not have an influence on the church. We've not been put here to sit over here and twiddle our thumbs. We've been put in this world to be sought, to bring about a change in this world. And I see us as members being sought wherever we participate in the processes of our city and our community. I see us that wherever we are, we're having an influence for that which is good, for that which is just, for that which is rightly righteous, and that which is godly. I see us being the kind of people where God scatters us out in all society and we become a force for goodness. Amen. That we make an impact on this society. I see these things. Now listen to them about through. I don't know. If you're able to see what I've seen. But this is the vision God has put in my heart for this church. To be a temple. To be a lamp. To be a table with bread. Tables. To be a school. To be a river. And to be, a, and to be salt. Now here's the question. Where do you see yourself in this vision? There's no one of us that can do everything. But each of us can do something. And every one of us, he listen to me, all of us can be a part of the temple and we must be a part of the temple. 
All of us can be light and can share the light and we must be light and we must share the light. Some of us in this room tonight need to be instructors in the school. Some need to go to school and be instructed. All of us can participate in putting bread on the table. Some will prepare the bread. Some will set the tables. And some will set the tables by going out and bringing others in and letting them sit at the table. Every one of us can be channels through which the river flows. Every one of us can be salt. Every one of us can be something to help us to be what we should be for the glory of God. What I'm saying is this, that we, if we're to be a temple, then one thing that's absolutely necessary, we've got to have people to pray so that when we come here, that it's not just the old Adam hooping it up, but it's God touching and blessing in mighty power. That only comes through prayer. That's where the upper room comes in. Being a light, going out in this community, sharing the light. Faith, that's where faith comes in, the faith ministry that begins the first semester, July the 27th, I believe it is. For 16 weeks, for 16 weeks, four people in our church are going to be coming for 16 weeks every Thursday night and they're going to be learning how to tell people about Jesus. And for 16 weeks, they're going to be coming every Thursday night learning how to do it, equipping themselves. And we're going to be putting tools in their hands. And for every week, for every Thursday night, for 16 weeks, we're going to have four people that will be here going out, going in the homes. And then we'll take about a two-month break and then we're going to start second semester. And if all four people become leaders, we'll have six leaders in the fall and we'll be able to have 12 people coming. And for one semester, 16 weeks, 12 people will be coming, learning how to tell others about Jesus and multiplying and multiplying so that we're not just sitting here soaking it in and becoming fatted sheep doing nothing, but going out and telling this community, Jesus died for you and Jesus can save you from the gutter of sin Jesus can give you a brand new life. Jesus can take you to heaven when you die. We want to take every little boy and girl in this community to heaven with us. Every mom and dad, every black, every white, every one of them we can. Going out and telling them about Jesus. That's what faith is going to be all about. And on and on and on. Sunday school over the next few months. They're going to be deacons. are going to go through training classes. Teachers are going to go through training classes. Greeters are going to go through training classes. Going to be taught, going to be trained, going to be told what the Bible says, how to do it, tools put into our hands to do what... I'm not talking about just dreaming. I'm talking about doing. I've got the vision. I want you to get the vision. And this is where we'll go in the days to come. Here's my prayer. May God give you... My vision. Some of you may be sitting out there tonight and think, boy, Brother Ken turned 40. He went stark raving mad. The honest truth is I am not 40. I've lied all these years so you would think I was older. So you'd listen to me better. They always say they, you got to get up, you got to be old before people really listen to you. I'm actually 32. <laughs> so I'm just being honest. I'm really getting all my sins out tonight, amen? No. I hope you don't think I'm just on a whim. 
I've tried over this past year to be consistent in, and over this year say, this is where God wants us to go. And I've tried over this year to keep my heart fired up and try to say to you, my goal was this year to get you to believe once again this church could grow. And to get you once again to believe we could do something for God. That was my mission in 1999. And all God put in my heart and all God put in my life, my mission was to get you thinking differently. And to, I, I had certain goals we wanted to start and certain things we wanted to do. The prayer room was the priority of my ministry in 99. I wanted to add media to the services. We added that. We're going to develop that. We're going to develop it even more this week. And I wanted these things and many, many other, but my, one of the things I wanted to do was to get you once again to believe it could be done. And then my goal was to begin 2000 by saying, now, now you believe it, let's start. And let's do it. And let's do what God's called us to do. I'm not talking about just, just doing anything because it's a whim. I'm saying this is what we're to be. This is what God tells us we're to be a temple. God tells us we're to be light. God says we're to be bread. God says we're to be...